When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. James Earl Jones is retiring as the voice of Darth Vader, but his menacing tones will live on through AI supplied by Ukrainian startup Respeature. Apple reportedly won't boost iPhone 14 production because it appears that the new hotness is selling like Apple predicted it would. Square makes tap to pay on iPhone available to all U.S. sellers. And will companies like Amazon urging employees to work remotely ultimately lead to overseas outsourcing? We've got all this and more for you in episode 54 of The Tech John. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Rob Dunwood. And coming out of Atlanta, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech, a.k.a. Just the Two of Us, Part 2. <laughs> Continuation from last week. Our third member is still uh, missing in action, so we we're make, make sure we hold down the fort for her. But until then, uh, it is just us two, Part Do Do yeah, Part and, uh, we recorded late today too, so we, we had there was all kind of scheduling conflicts. You had something you had to get done today. Yeah, so, we, so my so my daughter, she's uh in the color guard for the band in the high school, and they're having their um first um overnight trip. So they're orient orientating, if that's a word, doing orientation for the parents mm-hmm. on what to expect. When we're out of town with your kids and even though these are band kids, they're kids, they're high school kids, mm-hmm. all the same. So, you know, long story short, they wanted to ensure us that our kid, your kids are going to be on the best behavior. We're going to keep an eye on them, but we want you in the same room as them. So the kids can hear us telling the parents that the kids are not going to misbehave. So, you know, trying to have the kids equally as accountable as the uh, school is. So they got a trip coming later this month, some band um, band competition. And then after that, she wants to be in the winter guard. So after um, the band is officially done after, you know, high school football is done, she wants to continue with this, the uh, color guard. So they, Want to do some meetings about all the events and all the practices and all the extra money, <laughs> even more money that they want out of us for our kids to participate in these extra activities. So I told my daughter, I'm like, you trying to do this? And of course, she got a little friends. She got a little click. So they're like, yeah, I want to do it. I'm like, all right, well, you better be trying to take somebody's spot. All this money we spend in <laughs> to send you to all these events. <laughs> yeah, so, I uh, I have a buddy. Who, who told his son, it's like, look, you know, uh, you playing football, basketball, baseball, you know, he calls them regular sports wrestling and stuff like that. We good. But if I got to go shell out like $1,800 for ice time for you to play hockey, you better make the squad, son. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like if you don't make the squad, you're going to be getting a part-time job to, uh, to help fund that. It's like, uh, uh-huh. that's something different, man. I, you know, I never really thought about it, but it's like, he's like $1,800 to play high school hockey. And yep. from what I hear, that's not that bad. Some schools, it's like over six grand. So, yep. so like I said, I told her, it's going to be, they ain't going to be buddy, buddy. It on when you hanging out with your friends, yeah, hang out with your little friends. When you out there practicing, when you out there playing, you I want you to be moving up in the ranks as far as the who's the captain, who's the co-captain, who's the lead of this. You know, you, I'm spending all this money. You you're you gonna be moving up the ranks. <laughs> so anyway, man, it's uh you know, this is a tech show. And last week, you know, when we did the two man show, it was 
there was not a lot of tech stories out. This week, it seems like there's quite a bit. And, and the first one, uh, not exactly. Actually, there's a tech angle to it, so we'll talk about it. But um, James Earl Jones, J.E.J., I don't know if you saw this, but he has decided to retire as the voice of Darth Vader. Um, the tech angle to this is that uh, he has been working with a, uh, a Ukrainian company um, called Respeacher where they actually uh, got together and he directed them on using old clips from, you know, from previous movies and, you know, and TV shows and so on and so forth, uh, where they've captured his voice and actually used AI to generate the voice. And they supposedly did this uh, for, uh, what was it, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So the last time James Earl Jones actually used his actual voice uh, was, I believe, back in 2019. Um, in the last Jedi, I think it was, but, uh, for Obi-Wan, he actually, uh, you, you know, he, he directed it. So he wanted to make sure that it was right, but he essentially has now uh, licensed his voiceover so that, uh, they can continue to use the original, um, James Earl Jones voice for Darth Vader for any future Star Wars that Darth Vader appears in. So I thought that was, right. uh, you know, kind of cool. And it's like, you know, he's, he's getting up there. He's 91. He's not a. Yeah, so I was going to say, um, if anybody is disgruntled or upset at the fact that James Earl Jones won't be physically voicing the voice of Darth Vader, it's like, have y'all met old people? They, they want to relax. They want to chill out. They don't want to be working. So the fact that he was at the. Congratulations to him for doing it so long, because a lot of folks in general, black men specifically, don't reach 91. So congrats mm-hmm. for doing it that long. Number two, I'm surprised he didn't retire 30 years ago when he was 70 or 60 really? or something I mean, like that. He started and, doing and, this in 77. So that's 45 years ago. He's right. Doing his voice. And, th- and then on and, top of that, congrats on him for actually putting in work before he retires by working with this company and saying, okay, well, let me lend my voice to the future appearances of Darth Vader. Me, I would have just chucked the deuces and be like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So, I saw that people were like, you know, up in arms. Like, how could they do this to James Earl Jones? It's like, no, he's he, he licensed this. They're paying him well. There's, you know, there, there's no doubt that when he he is licensing his voice, his voice likeness, um, you know, you know, for them to be able to use that, they're using his old recordings. So he he's getting paid, but he's 91. He says that his voice is changing. Um, and he doesn't want to do disservice to the character. So they are basically, uh, what Respeacher is doing is they're using his voice, uh, from the original, you know, from the, from the original trilogy for, you know, from the 77 Star Wars and Prior Strike Back and, um, Return of the Jedi. That's where, uh, they want to make his voice sound like that in all of them. Because he died in those movies. Darth Vader died. There. So they want to keep him, his voice to where it was when he actually died. So when they go back and tell all these other stories, he don't sound older than he did when he originally died. Exactly. <laughs> so like I said, I know some people were upset. They thought, they thought that it's like, how can you do that to James Earl Jones? It's like, Russ said, I'm 91. My voice is changing. And I don't, you know, I, I want y'all to remember Darth Vader for what Darth Vader was back in the seventies and early eighties. And, uh, so it's cool technology because, uh, you know, if you go and you think about, uh, Obi-Wan, I don't know if you watched that or not. Um, there are quite a few scenes, uh, with Darth Vader and Darth Vader talking and you don't know that that's AI. You know, we all mm-hmm. thought because at the time they said it was James Earl Jones. It is James Earl Jones. It's just an artificial, you know, intelligent representation of his voice, uh, which they didn't announce until just recently. So, um, you know, pretty big deal. Like I said, you know, he is, uh, you know, I, I remember watch, I can actually remember, uh, you know, watching Star Wars. Um, I went to see Star Wars with my grandfather and my, uh, my aunt. Um, they took, uh, you know, m- myself and one of my cousins to go see it. And I don't remember him saying this, but I know he's talked about it enough that he actually said, Oh, that's great white hope. So, um, one of, uh, JEJ's popular movies from the very early seventies. In fact, I think it came out in 70 was the great white hope. And my grandfather immediately recognized who he was 
just by the sound of that voice, because it, it is a, you know, nobody sounds like Darth Vader except for James Earl Jones that, you know, I've never heard anybody else sound like that. So cool story. I just thought that uh, we would go ahead and stick that in here because there is a tech angle to it where they're actually using artificial intelligence to recreate his voice. And even if it wasn't a tech angle, we still was going to talk about it. It's J.E.J. Um, he has an EGOT. Got to talk, you know, anything tech related comes up with somebody got to get EGOT. You got to talk about them. So um, the next story we'll get into here uh, is Apple reportedly won't boost iPhone 14 production. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at this or not, but I wanted to get your take on it being the, the all things Apple guy on here. I, I thought this was really much to do about nothing, but it seems like people are making a big deal out of it. Because Apple wants people to make a big deal out of it so they can sell more phones. Apple is a hardware company, one. Number two, it's a marketing company. And they know how to market. They know how to create scarcity. They know how to create a sense of urgency, which are all the things you need as a good marketing and advertising person. And Apple is doing just that by putting a little bug out there saying, hey, we might just roll back some demand. We may even plant the seed and tell some some uh, suppliers and manufacturers of the parts to roll back demand because you know what that's going to do. That's going to force people to say, oh, the, they're going to look at the uh, iPhone order um, time frame. And right now, according to the stories that I've read, is back to November. That's already back to Thanksgiving. So it's like if I'm hearing that Apple is slowing down production and I'm seeing that I can't get an iPhone until November, what I'm going to do? Let me go ahead and order this phone now <laughs> so at least I can get one. And then everybody's going to start doing that and everybody's going to start doing that. And before you know it, Apple's going to have all these numbers and revenue. And then next year when they r- report the numbers, they're going to say iPhone 14 is the best selling iPhone of 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 ever. And they do that every single year because every single year there's a supply chain, there's chip shortages, there is lack of this and a shortage of that. And we don't have many uh, creators or manufacturers do that. But every year, every single year, Apple says, oh, we've surpassed this and we've beaten that and we've made X amount more dollars than we always have. So I agree with you, long story short, that this is much to do about nothing simply because this is what Apple wants us to talk about. So tell me if this is true or not. I in in, in looking at the story and trying to see, okay, is this a thing or is just just Apple being Apple? Um, I want, you know, uh, there, there are a fair amount of people who are saying if you have a 13, even if you have a 12 and you're not going to go and get a pro or pro max, there's not a lot of reason that you, you know, unless you just have to have the newest, you know, joint in your pocket, there's not a lot of reason to upgrade. Is, is that a true statement? If you're just getting the iPhone regular versus the iPhone 13 regular versus the iPhone 12 regular, you may get a little bit more battery life. You may get a little bit better cameras, but that's always been the case. I guess what my point is that has been the case when the iPhone 12 came out mm-hmm. and you had the iPhone 11, you had the iPhone 10R, you had the iPhone 10. They said, well, if you've got one of those, there's really no reason to upgrade. But every year, like I said, Apple always reports all these extra special earnings. So I'm pretty sure when the 12 came out and you had the 11 and the 10s and when the 13 came out, you had the 12 and the 11s. And now you got the 14. Now we got people saying, well, if you've got a 12, is there really a reason to upgrade? The answer is no. <laughs> but people do it anyway because it's Apple. So I can tell you all day long that technically, if you buy buy an iPhone 12, there isn't too much you're missing outside of maybe the notch being a little bit smaller, different colors, maybe a little bit more battery life. But that's about it. But that ain't never all Apple needs is a new device and they'll record record profits. So it's like, why change that? If I'm a business and I put out the same device, but a little bit different but get record profits every year, I would do the same thing. So I don't understand why people get kind of, I'm not saying you are, but people like, well, it's the same phone. I'm like, well, if you had a company and you can make the same product, but make twice as much every single year, wouldn't you do that too? And the answer is probably yes. 
Yeah. So I, I was, like I said, I was, I was looking to see, you know, what, why is this thing not selling? And then when I really dug into it, it's like, oh, it's selling as well as it ever has. It's just that they haven't said, oh, go make more stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking about that. It's like, so it's selling as well as it ever has. Is, is that a bad thing that like Apple forecasts more? Can't find anything on that. It's just like, like, I, I think, I think you're right on the, uh, you know, right on the nail with this one. That if, it's if, Apple if, marketing and trying to get, you know, some fake, if, uh, you know, not fake news, but just, uh, you know, they're trying to create put that out, scarcity, you know, you know, fake sense of urgency that you need to get mm-hmm. this thing. Now you need to order this thing now. Because I mean, it, I would, I would hold some truth to this. If I could walk into an Apple store right now and pick up an iPhone 14 Pro or Pro Max, the fact that I can't <laughs> means that these things are selling like gangbusters, even a regular 14. I don't know. I have to go check. I can't. I don't know if I could walk into a store tomorrow and pick up a regular iPhone 14. They may say you have to pick it up in the next maybe at the least pick up in a week. I could be wrong, but um, that's always been the case this close to release. And now that the iPhone 14 plus which is the bigger version of the regular phones, the first phone. When, when those things start shipping and those numbers start coming in, Apple will be fine. They'll be fine. Now, what do you like? Do you like the the oversized? Uh, no, I really don't call them oversized because I use the biggest phones I can possibly get. But do you like the Plus and the Max or are you just a regular iPhone kind of person? I'm the, 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 the Pro Max version uh, simply because I'm the photog of the family. So, if you look at come to my house, there aren't any pictures of me. <laughs> There's pictures of my wife and my kids. <laughs> I'm the dude with the phone. So they're like, where, where are you? I'm like, I'm the one holding the phone, right? So I'm the photox. So I always make sure to get the nicest camera. And I like the oversized phone because my fingers are getting fatter and being able to type, you know, is a little bit more real estate. But other than that, you know, I'm an Apple guy. So, you know, I have no shame in my game when the new best phone comes out. Typically, I lean towards that one. So I don't know if I've ever talked about this on this show, but the reason um, that I chose Android over iPhone is because when the first iPhone came out, remember, I was all about the BlackBerry. So Mm -hmm. I was into typing with my thumbs on everything. And I'm six, four and a half, you know, 305 pound defensive tackle. I got ginormous mitts. My hands are huge. So when I got that very first iPhone, it was so uncomfortable to try mm-hmm. to type on it because if you remember the original iPhone, I mean, it was a little phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so uncomfortable to type on it and they hadn't enabled to where you could turn it in landscape mode and type on it, you know, for the first one that it just didn't feel comfortable. So I got it and it's like, eh, I'm just going to keep using the Blackberry. And at the time, if anybody is, if, if they're, if they're truly, uh, if you go all the way back and you're truly honest with yourself, the original iPhone wasn't all that great. To, you know, comparatively speaking to some of the other stuff that was out there, it really took it to probably the, you know, the 3GS or even the 4 before it actually, oh, wow, this is something here. And by that point, I was already so in Android that that was the reason that I am, uh, you know, an Android person versus a Apple person. People thought that I was like anti-Apple. I was like, no, not at all. It's just that the phone for me when it first came out didn't work. Um, and it was because, like I said, I got these big paws and I couldn't type on it with my thumbs, which I was so used to coming over from Blackberry. So right. that, that, that is, that is how I got into Android. But anyway, um, like I said, you know, keeping with the quick hit stories, I wanted to talk about this one because this one might have affected you or still may affect you, uh, with some of the stuff that you do, um, you know, as far as your side hustles, but Square, uh, they have now enabled tap to pay. Um, on iPhones, uh, on all U.S. sellers, uh, or to all U.S. sellers, I should say, um, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, like my dad, he is a, in his retirement, he's actually become a handyman to the point to where he is actually doing, you know, this is his regular job now. Um, he had one of those, uh, when he retired, my, you know, my mother told him, it's like, you ain't got to get up, you know, you don't got to. <laughs> You don't got to go back to work, but you got to get out of my domain. It's like you, you, you're messing with my calm, uh, just being in the house all day. So he started a, a handyman business and I got him set up with Square and he actually was using like the, the back in the day when he first started doing it was like the little the, thing the swipe. And now it's like mm-hmm. the $50 where you can actually tap or you can just insert for when you have the, uh, the, the car or the chip in the card. Mm-hmm. Now it looks like that if you tap the pay card or, you know, even mobile payments, you can do that directly on your iPhone. And I thought that's, that's actually pretty cool. 
that op- that opens up square to a lot of uh, to a lot of small businesses. Right. A lot of small businesses that have phones, a lot of small businesses that have employees that have phones that don't or can't afford, you know, those thousand, two thousand, five thousand dollar plus point of sale machines. Right. So if I as a company or small business, say I'm making cookies or cupcakes or whatever the case may be, somebody comes into my store you know, one, it might be a little bit easier because anybody that's working the counter, if they've got a phone, now they've got tap to pay. So you don't have to, I don't have to submit my order and then shuffle on down to the pickup line or shuffle on down to the register after I submit my order to actually pay for it. The person that's taking their order right there, if they have a phone, they can say, whatever your order is, ring it up. And right there, you know, either use your your uh, your card if you have one of the wireless contact cards or use your phone to actually tap to pay. So it makes it easier for the customer because I don't have to wait in line to pay for it. And it makes it easier for the business because they don't have to spend thousands of dollars to get the ability to do tap to pay. Because if I'm coming in your business and you say, oh, I don't have cash or, you know, our machines are down or, you know, we can only accept cash. I'm liable to walk out. <laughs> if you've got tap to pay on a phone, I'm more likely to patron, you know, your business. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of me's out there. So, you know, you want to make sure you meet people where they are. And if everybody's coming in with their phones, you may want to figure out the best way to service them. I'm thinking of my barber. Um, my barber, they have a sign. We accept Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, they literally have removed the barrier for you paying them um, with anything. And they, of course, they were using Square. So I know um, when I go into the shop uh, on Friday uh, next week, I will uh, you know, probably see them trying to use this or they'll ask me, hey, Rob, is this is this safe to use? Because they already are using Square for people who are paying that way. But they have just said, you know, what? we're going to make it easy. For folks to, uh, you know, to pay because you know how it is, man, in the shop, you know, a regular will come in. Oh man, I forgot my wallet. And mm-hmm. if it's a regular barber usually will let you slide, but now mm-hmm. you don't have to. It's like, no, man, just hit me up on Venmo. Just hit me up on PayPal. Hit me on Cash mm-hmm. App. Hit me on, on this. And now it's like Square. You can pay directly from, you know, a phone that, you know, supports mobile payments, uh, into this. And what I liked about this is that this is Square. This is not Apple Pay. So I can right. use my Android phone and use mm-hmm. Google Pay on it to pay you on your mm-hmm. iPhone. And that yep. transaction actually works, which really opens us up to everyone to be able to use and in mobile, addition to that, who uses mobile payments. And in addition to that, a week or so before a week or a week or so before our show, um, Square is launching tap to pay on Android as well. I had to go find that story, but about a week or so ago, uh, Square was uh, uh, announcing, if not already launching, the ability to use tap to pay on Android as well. So the, like I said, they're removing those barriers because there are some, you know, like I said, barbers out there who use Android as well. So the ability for them to use this as well, like I say, you want to remove them barriers to where you don't give nobody no excuse not to pay you. Now, are you in just your everyday life? Are you a mobile payments kind of person or do you still pull the card out in most instances? I'm mobile payments first, especially on my watch. If I can, I, if I, I get disgusted, if I pull up to an ATM and it don't have the tap to pay thing to where I can just hold my watch up there. Therefore, I don't, have to, I don't have to juggle with my phone. I don't have to juggle with my wallet. I don't have to juggle with my keys. If everything's on my wrist, then I can just hold my wrist up there, go on about my business. It still surprises me when I do that, how many people like, you know, cashiers, clerks, people who work there are surprised. Oh, you can, you can do that on your watch. And I'm like, yeah, I don't understand why more people don't do it. Maybe because they're concerned about security. You know, they're not they're not sure how the the thing works in the first place. So then to add it to their watch, maybe that's a thing. But, you know, the easiest I'm not going to (laughs) say maybe I'm lying to myself. Um, I'm not going to say I wouldn't be one of those people to get chipped to have the little chip thing in your in your wrist or in your palm or whatever to where you can wave your hand over the point of sale and then make a payment. Uh, I'm, I, I would like to say I wouldn't be one of those people, but I probably would be one of those people. <laughs> I wouldn't do that, but I would buy a piece of jewelry that had it in there. So like just right. a bracelet or something like that. Yeah. Um, um, I wear one of those, uh, magnetic golf bracelets all the time. 
Mm-hmm. So if they had one where it, you know put you know NFC chip in it and you could use it, I I probably would. I don't know if I won't. I don't like getting cut, so I'm not. I don't, I, I don't know if we'll let somebody insert something on my person, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I would probably do like I said a bracelet or something like that. But I just I just thought this was cool. Um, you know you know cool little story that affects a lot of people. And like I said, I see a lot of uh just you know small business people, small vendors. Um, who will use this because even though you could do it before, you could buy the readers, $50 for a reader. And as you were saying, if you've got multiple people, that's, that's $50 for every single reader that you need. And you, and if you've got that many, you probably want it all to go into a central system. So you need the POS, which is not 50. It's like you said, a thousand to 1500, depending on what pieces and parts you get with it. So mm-hmm. this just makes it easy, um, to accept mobile payments. And, uh, I for one hope that mobile payments pick up more than they are. The only time I don't use them at this point are when I go to restaurants and they actually bring you the bill and you have mm-hmm. to slide your card into the little leather thing yeah, and they walk right. away with it and then come back. Mm-hmm. And you know my my eyes are open. I went to Australia uh back in 2019 beginning of 2019. It is against the law for them to actually take a card. You know, you, you know, um, I remember I was trying to hand my cards when I was trying to pay for stuff. And they're like, oh, no, we can't legally take your card. We'll bring the card reader to the table and you just tap to pay mm-hmm. um, that way. Now, once again, my, I actually had a, you know, my card had tap to pay in it, but I'd never used it here because so many places here, even in 2019, didn't have it activated. I didn't know what to do. So I'm trying to, well, where, do, where do I slide it or where, where, where do I stick it in? It's like, no, just, and literally I can't take it, but just take your card and just set it right on the top. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, that's, that's awesome. And it's like, it is so much easier to do that than to me than to, uh, you know, you know, sliding it and having the, you know, just all the things that we are just so accustomed to doing here. So I hope that, uh, tap, you know, tap to pay payments, um, and just mobile payments in general, uh, take off here in the U S. Yeah, me too. But, you know, regulation, you know, we hate regulation over here. So uh, these companies ain't let nobody tell them what to do. <laughs> right. So, Terrence, one of the the big stories or, or, or one of the big features, I should say, um, with the new iPhones was crash detection. Um, they actually showed uh, you know, some cool videos uh, during the Apple event to where how it would work. And, uh, you, you know, you put some news in here, you know, you linked to some news in here of how it actually, uh, worked. Now the story is kind of sad, but the technology, uh, possibly, you know, could have maybe say, you know, saved somebody's life in, in, in a different situation in a similar to this. So I want you to tell us, uh, what, uh, crash detection is actually doing and how it actually uh, affected a you know community actually. Right, right. So. Um, for those who don't know, you know, the iPhone and the Apple Watch announced crash detection. Make a long story short, they've got all these special sensors, all these special algorithms, all these special ways to detect when you have been into a crash. Now, of course, your phone can't see you or your watch can't see that you've been in a crash, but it can hear and it can be the accelerometer and a gyrometer, 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 I think that's what it is. Anyway, they've got all these special ways that it can detect when there's been a big jolt, you know, uh, based on movement patterns, all these different things. Right. So basically, Apple's saying if you're in a gyroscope, thank you, <laughs> a gyrometer. <laughs> um, so basically, Apple's pretty confident that if you have a fairly new Apple Watch and you have a fairly new iPhone, uh, it can detect when you've been in a crash. Um, it looks like, unfortunately, like Rob said, the crash detection feature is already being put to work because there was a story about five men that died in a car crash and a 24 year old woman died later at the hospital where she arrived in critical condition. Well, the only reason why she was able to even make it to the hospital in the first place was because somebody had an iPhone 14 in the car, which detected the accident and actually called for help. The way the crash detection works is if it does detect a detect a crash, it'll put a message on your screen that says, hey, looks like you've been in a crash. Should we call the folks? Should we call the police? Should we call the ambulance or whatever? And if you don't respond, no, I'm fine. Or yes, call the police. They do a countdown. I think it's like 10 seconds or something like that. And after 10 seconds, if there's no response, you know, uh, Apple, I don't know how it works, but Apple has some 
um, attendants or uh, some some people who will actually call emergency services on your half on your behalf. And then also based on your location, GPS, they can give you they can give the EMS, paramedics, police, whomever they can give you approximate location where you are. So that's exactly what happened. These people got in this major, terrible car crash. And because somebody had an iPhone 14 with crash detection, the phone called the paramedics. They were able to get this lady to the hospital. Again, unfortunately, she uh, succumbed to her injuries. But the fact that this is actually working versus it just being some fancy feature that Apple's just touting there, it's actually they're putting out features that's actually you can see the potential outside of it just being some sort of gimmick to sell more phones. Right. So, like I said, it, it didn't turn out well for, you know, for this young lady, but uh, you can see the potential where it would. Now, I, you know, I read further down in this article and it said that there's a lot of folks who are trying to test it. Uh, they're trying to shake their phone, trying to shake their watch um, and they can't get it to, uh, you know, kick in. There's, uh, I guess, a couple of uh, instances where someone was in like a crash derby style car. And they wrecked the car and it worked one time. They tried it again. It didn't work um, another time. And I guess that when you actually turn and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, because my iPhone has not shown up yet. Um, and we're, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not showing up yet. So I'm, I'm still waiting on it. But, uh, you know, I, you know, my understanding is that when you turn it on, it actually tells you that it may not work in every situation. And some of the, the reasons why it may not have worked, um, in some of these tests that people were doing is that, well, you weren't on a road. Um, you know, number one. So the GPS couldn't hook up that you were on a road. So it wasn't thinking that you were in a car accident. Uh, number two is that you basically went from start to stop so quickly that it didn't register that you actually were even moving or that you, that you were traveling. So people are trying to fake it. So, you know, they're saying that, you know, it could work that it actually, it knows that you're moving when you're in a car, you know, going at certain speeds for a certain amount of time. And then that kind of kicks into the mode to where it actually uh, kicks in. So, yeah. yeah, I don't think you need to return your phone because you shake it and it doesn't call the police for you. And those uh, people, I don't think that's a good use of your time. And the people who are testing it, air quotes, they ain't really testing it to, to, to verify that this is a helpful feature that can benefit people. And we just want to sing the praises. They're just trying to test it for the, for the news so they can get those hits so they can get those views. So I'm kind of glad in a weird way that it doesn't work with these people trying to test it because you're not trying to test it. Like I said, to, to verify that Apple is really concerned about your safety. You just want people to watch the video and click like and share it, which is kind of disingenuous if you ask me. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right. So in this next story, uh, Terrence, uh, it's Pegasus spyware um, is being used against anti-corruption journalists in Mexico despite government promises. Why don't you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what's happening. Um, the previous um, uh, president, I can't, I, um, I can't think of say his name right now, but basically when he ran for uh, uh, elected office, this quote unquote spyware was used on him. Right. So when he got elected, he said, I promise 
that we won't be using this type of spyware any, you know, any future going, you know, we're not going to do it uh, going forward. But of course, you know, uh, this Pegasus spyware, we've talked about Pegasus before, um, you know, with they were specifically it was designed to spy on people, you know, with in, I don't know the actual term of influential um, uh, civil disobedience, um, people that are leading like um, anti-government uh, movements. You know, those are the type of people who would specifically be targeted by this um, by this software. Uh, the guy's name was Lopez or Orbit or, or, or that's, that's why I want to say his name <laughs> Orbador. I'm just going to call him Orbador. He came to power. He said he promised that the government would not use a surveillance system. He says we when we were in the opposition, we were spied on. Now that that is prohibited, we won't do that. And we won't do that because it's a matter of principle. But then, of course, uh, security researchers have verified claims that Pegasus has indeed been used after this promise was made. I'm not going to get into the all, all the details, but of course, <laughs> I'm, I'm I don't know why anybody, especially, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to say America is the, the best country in the world when it comes to government, when it comes to policy and things of that nature. But there are some some restrictions that the American government has to where it would make this a lot harder. I don't know about Mexico. I don't know about South America. I don't know about some of these other countries to where it's a more dictatorship, more author authoritarian rule. But in some of those countries, I'm not surprised <laughs> that this is happening. And I hope nobody is surprised either. <laughs> We're not going to make this political on this. But when you, when you think about this country, there are some people who would think that would be a good thing mm -hmm. to be able to do that. To make sure that the right people are voting. But like I said, right. we're not going to turn that into a political story. Um, and the reason for that is because I wanted to get into, uh, this main story that we're going to be talking about because it's something I've actually been thinking about for a while. Um, so let me just go ahead and, uh, and, and tell you what I'm thinking here. Um, will remote work trends ultimately lead to more outsourcing? And there is a good article in Fortune, which questions if remote work is the reason you won't have a job in 10 years. So I actually read through that and I was like, hey, they're making some really good points, um, you know, in this article. And then I saw that Amazon, and this is just recently here, Amazon is actually urging some call center employees to work from home. They want to close some, you know, several of their call centers. Instead of having people go into the office, they want them to mm -hmm. work from home um, and do the same thing remotely because ultimately Amazon feels like they can save, um, you know, a bit of money um, doing that. So the question then comes like, well, if Amazon is closing call centers, send employees home to work remotely mm -hmm. in an effort to save money. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's eventually going to lead to them outsourcing those call center jobs in an effort to save money? Um, um, as as a business, that's probably a logical step. Well, maybe not. If not a step, that is a logical argument to make because we have been, well, always have been shaking a finger, for lack of a better term, at companies who a are heavy when it comes to outsourcing, you know, small, we, you know, the same little hypocrisy, the same people that will be mad at an Amazon or a Microsoft or whomever that currently has outsourced call centers to South America, to India, you know, we'll be mad at those companies. <laughs> but when we start, we ready to launch this small business. We be quick, fast in a hurry to find a virtual assistant in the Philippines or, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know, there's a little hypocrisy when it comes to, you know, what these big companies are doing versus what startups, what small businesses, things of that nature who maybe not have, don't have the same resources to outsource a large swath of their employee force. But at the same time, don't have that same eyeballs on them so they can do it. Right. All that to say outsourcing will always be a thing when it comes to, you know, corporations, when it comes to capitalism, things of that nature. So it is a logical step to say, if it's easier to hire people, regardless of where they are, then it's going to be easier <laughs> to hire people regardless of where they are. And that comes with, the ability to find somebody across the 
country or across the globe that will do your same job for less money. Now, the question is, you know, um, will regulation step in? Will, you know, the people um, will the people not revolt protest these companies and stop buying their uh, products if a large majority of their their workforce is some other country that's getting paid pennies on the dollar. I mean, that's an argument we're going to have to have as well. Well, you know what they have, but it hadn't really worked in, in, um, you know, in the past. One of the interesting things that I saw uh, in reading through several articles for this story was that we didn't see during the pandemic, a bunch of things being outsourced. And the reason it said was because most of those jobs that could be outsourced already were. Mm-hmm. Uh, call center, essentially call center work. Right. A lot right. of that stuff happened in, you know, the, you know, the 2010s, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, um, companies were on a mad dash to send everything overseas that they could. Uh, if we would have been doing the show back then, we would have had many shows where we would have talked about that. So when we get to 2020, 2021, and into this year, a lot of those jobs that could be outsourced already have been. But now you're starting to look at, well, you have developers who used to go in programmers who used to go into the office. They're now working remote. Um, mm-hmm. You have product managers who used to go into the office. They're now working remote. Um, so some people are saying, well, those jobs are safe because they're a higher, uh, you know, it, it requires a higher level of skill or a higher level of education. Um, but this, this here, here we go to that, you know, American exceptionalism, thinking that. There's a lot of universities that are not in the United States. In fact, most of them are not. <laughs> you know, the, you know, most places are not here. So, can you get developers? Um, you know, uh, you know, overseas. Can you get product managers overseas? Can you get project managers overseas? Um, you can because one of the things that used to happen was that you would see a lot of H1B visas, folks coming to school here, and they would get on those H1B visas to stay here in order mm-hmm. to get some of these some of these jobs. Yeah, if they don't even have to do that. Then I don't even have to do that. It's like you know, mm-hmm. I can stay home and do some of these jobs. So it's like I might have to work. Uh, you know, you know, weird hours. I might be, you know, I might be up when it's dark and you know, and sleep when it's daylight. But I can stay home. I can stay where I'm at. So I think this is something that, uh, you know, companies are going to be thinking about because ultimately at the end of the day, they are driven, you know, not all, but most companies are driven by their bottom line. They're driven by mm-hmm. what their shareholders or their owners uh, want. And that's increased right. revenue. Um, so if I am paying developer here, uh, you know, let's just say, you know, you know, you know, $10, uh, to do something and I can pay someone overseas. Seven dollars to do something. Mm-hmm. Does the cost of getting it set up there uh, warrant paying the three dollars less? And if the answer to that is yes, then you might go and do that. Now, once again, they're going to weigh what, what of our you know what of our customers you know going to feel will they boycott us? Will they do that? Right. They'll weigh all that. But these companies have been doing that. They've been doing this for years, for decades even. So the fact mm-hmm. that you know there are there have been jobs that have been outsourced overseas, I don't see any reason why it would stop. So it just, uh, you know, like I, I am a, you know, I, I, I love the ability to work from home. Um, it was even, even when I had the ability going back years ago to do I, do I want to come into the office every day or do I want to work from the house? I actually decided to stay in the office. And the thing for me was that I'd never worked from home. So I didn't know what it was like until I had the opportunity to, um, you know, I actually, uh, I think I, um, tore my Achilles tendon. So I was kind of, and it was on my right foot. So I simply just couldn't drive. So even when I was, you know, you know, well enough to be able to go to work, unless somebody was going to take me and drop me off. And this is kind of pre Uber. Um, it was just easier to do stuff from the house. And I kind of like, Oh, this ain't that bad. It's like, it saves me 40 minutes going to work, you know, probably an hour and 10 minutes coming home. Um, you know, that, that additional time is like, you know, I can't, I can make it to the game now. I can do the, there's a lot of things that working from home allowed me to do that going into the office simply just didn't do. And it's just, it's what I did because I, that's always what I did. So I'm a proponent of it, but I think that we need to be careful with, I'm never going into an office again because you know, what do you do for a living? Is it, is it something that someone, um, you know, if, if you're doing your job remotely, can someone else mm-hmm. do it remotely somewhere where they're going to be paid significantly less? 
And if the right. answer and that, that is yes, you might want to be concerned about whether or not that is the right, you know, um, situation for you to be in. And they're already kind of having it because, you know, uh, California based companies could, maybe that's <laughs> my, uh, employer, you know, uh, they're based in California, but I'm here in Georgia. So I'm pretty sure they said, you know what? Um, is it cheaper to hire somebody in Georgia as opposed to somebody being hired in California? And there's already being pushback, you know, with that. There are some organizations, there's some groups that are saying, hey, they're keeping an eye on that. Now, I'm not saying they can, they have the power to regulate that or tell these companies you can't do that, but there are some organizations that are keeping an eye and, and you're making sure people are aware of the company's ability to hire you know, intercontinentally, that's not even a word, um, you know, across the country interstate. or even globally. Yeah. Well, th- there's another word for it, but intrastate, I don't know. Anyway, um, they're watching that when it just comes to, you know, companies being able to hire for less within the country, you know, so as remote work becomes more popular and companies start to think about hiring globally, People are going to be watching them. It's just, are we going to be as invested in stopping them? You know, do we want to chop off our nose? Uh, what is it? How's the, how's the phrase go? Chop off your nose to spite your face. You know, are we willing to, you know, clamp down on these companies' ability to hire remotely across the globe if that means locally we may have to go back into the office are we willing to do that we'll have to see yeah the the other thing is uh um just thinking about what you just said about it may be less expensive to hire someone in georgia than it is to hire someone in, and so we, it, this is not there's not no may in this we know it's less expensive to hire somebody in georgia than it is to hire someone in california or in silicon mm-hmm. valley specifically and i'm thinking about like all of the san francisco um you know uh, based companies um during the, during the pandemic you know a lot of people who were living in San Francisco to where they were like, you know, four people living in a two bedroom apartment so they could split rent simply so they could live to get to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, you know what? I can go get my own place. It, you know, for what I was paying in San Francisco, I could go to mm-hmm. Vegas and have my or own Austin, place Texas or Austin, Texas mm-hmm. or Atlanta or, you know, or Pittsburgh or Cleveland or Cincinnati or Columbus or, you know, just there's so many other places you could go. Um, to where the cost of living is so much lower. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, you're going to make me come into the office, um, but it's more expensive for me to come into the office. Or are you going to pay me more? And that's not necessarily the case. And, you know, in a lot of cases, in some cases it is, but it's not the case in a lot of cases. So it's just interesting to see how these, how these things are going to play out. Now, this is what I do know. Apple spent well upwards of a billion dollars on that giant, donut they built mm-hmm. um, what is it cupertino california is that where they're located mm-hmm. um people are going to be going into that office they, they spent yeah. way too much money on that building for that to happen mm-hmm. so i don't think this is going to be an issue for apple but when i start like i said when i you know i think about this amazon story and they are urging their call center employees no instead of coming into the office why don't you work from home we can make that job remote for you um in the short term that is probably a great thing for those uh, call center style workers. But in the long term, that seems like the exact type of thing that you could outsource relatively easily uh, overseas uh, where you're going to be paying um, those consultants um, or those firms, those outsourcing firms significantly less than what you're paying your U.S. workers. Right. But but uh, conversely, <laughs> companies like Apple, like Google, like uh, Facebook, they are all making, they're still making this case of, well, you know, team cohesiveness and uh, collaboration and communication so much easier when we're in person, so on and so forth. Right. Those companies that are making that that big argument or that they're, they're making they're advocating for coming back to the physical building. You know, the the reasons that they're using may. um, It may be hypocritical of them to then say, all right, well, if we can't 
if we can't get you back in office, well, we're just going to hire somebody from India or South America or the Philippines or somewhere anywhere, because that language barrier may have a in, uh, a bearing on how collaboration and communication and cohesiveness and all those things. So, you know, they may talk themselves in the inability to hire globally if they really care about, you know, collaboration and team communication and things of that nature. So that, that, you know, that may be a thing there, you know, unfair to, you know, people trying to get a job, you know, and trying to get the best job and the best company to make the best money. But, you know, capitalism ain't never fair. <laughs> this is what I do know. Um, that might you, you may have language barrier uh, and even um, accent barrier for some types of roles. But there's some places like the Philippines mm-hmm. where you can get folks to speak perfect Spanish and perfect Midwestern English. They don't even sound right. like they're from somewhere else. Well, they, and they live get- on the other side of Earth. Well, we um, need to we need to uh 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 freshen up on our uh Espanol if we want to keep up, but that's always been an issue with Americans. Right. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this will be one to look at uh because, like I said, I I was what made me uh, think of this for our main story. I was having the conversation with my daughter, uh, who she she just uh you know she just got her uh, master's degree. She'll be starting on her doctoral studies. And she has her first, what I call her first real, it's not her first job, but it's her first job with benefits, like good ones. Um, and she's a remote employee and she's like, I, I'll never go back and, you know, I'll never go into the office. And I'm like, you know, she's young enough to, you know, she, she literally has never worked in an office before, uh, you know, you know, at the level that she's working now, she was in one a little bit before the pandemic started, but since the pandemic, I mean, she was in school, finishing grad school. This is really her first job. And she's like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll never go in. It's like never is a long time. Um, but fortunately for her, she has one of those kind of you know roles that would not be easily replaceable. I'm not, I'm not worried about her in like the foreseeable future. It would be years and years and years before someone who's doing what she's doing could do that from someplace else. Because one of the things her job does require is that she has to travel back and forth to things here. So you couldn't be in the Philippines and have to go make a business trip over in Indiana or make a business trip over to Denver or make a business trip into South Carolina or whatever the case is. You know, you need to, you know, be physically somewhere where you can fly to those places relatively easily uh, when necessary. Absolutely. So, Brother Tech, um, you know, another two person show uh, this week. Um, last week, we did not have a spotlight, but this week we do. So this week, we're going to be talking about Dr. Lonnie Johnson. Um, many have heard the name Lonnie Johnson. He is the inventor of the Super Soaker, arguably one of the best selling toys of the last three decades with over one billion dollars in sales. But before becoming a toy making extraordinaire, Dr. Lonnie Johnson was a talented engineer and inventor. Born in Mobile, Alabama in 1949 to a mother who was a nurse's aide and a father who was a World War II veteran, Lonnie learned the basic principles of electricity at an early age from his father. Always liking to tear things down and tinker, Lonnie earned the nickname The Professor from the kids in the neighborhood. I mean, while attending Williamson High School in Mobile, an all-black high school, Lonnie entered his compressed air-powered robot called Lennox into the Alabama Science Fair. He was the only African-American student attending the fair and won first place for his creation. In 1969, Johnson attended Tuskegee University, obtaining a BS in mechanical engineering in 1973 and a master's degree in nuclear engineering in 1975. He also holds an honorary PhD in science from Tuskegee University. After college, Dr. Johnson went on to work for the Air Force, where he worked on the stealth bomber program before joining NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in 1979. While at NASA, Johnson worked on a variety of projects, including the Air Force Mission Lab, which developed the nuclear power source for the Galileo mission to Jupiter. Today, Dr. Johnson has two technology development companies, Accelertron Solid State LLC and Johnson Electromechanical Systems, or GEMS, um, you know, operating in Sweet Auburn neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia. GEMS developed the Johnson Thermo Electromechanical Converter System, or JTEC, which popular mechanics listed as one of the top inventions of 2009. Johnson holds more than 250 patents, was awarded the Air Force Achievement Medal and the Air Force Commendation Medal. He received several awards from NASA for his work in spacecraft system design and gel propulsion laboratory in 2008 he was awarded the breakthrough award from science magazine 
um, in, in popular mechanics for his work um, to JTEC or for JTEC. And he was inducted into the state of Alabama Engineering Hall of Fame in 2011. In 2015, the Super Soaker was inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame. So you will notice um, as I talk about uh, Dr. Because I want to give him his flowers, Dr. Lonnie Johnson, because those honorary doctorates still count. Um, you know, he, uh, I didn't really mention much about the super soaker. Uh, that is a, you know, that is a very, very long Wikipedia page. You can go read it. There's movies on that thing. He created this toy back in 90. I remember buying one my senior year of high school. It wasn't called the super soaker back then. I can't remember what it was called, but it was awesome. And, and, and just, I think in 91, they sold $200 million worth of those things. Well, um, so the, the, go ahead. I was going to say, but that's not what we're, you know, highlighting him for. We're highlighting him for all of these technical chops that he has. I mean, the dude was basically a rocket scientist working for NASA, helping to design stealth bombers and, you know, in nuclear engines for, uh, you know, for spacecraft. It's a pretty impressive uh, background, uh, particularly with his 250 uh, uh, patents that he has as well. Yeah. But it, even with that, right. You know, the, the, the saying is, you know, you, uh, raise your hand if you're using the degree that you <laughs> went to college for. Most people say no. All right. <laughs> this dude is no exception. Right. So long story short of the free, uh, the, the super soaker was actually an accident, according to a story that I know and I've read was, you know, he was trying to figure out how to use some sort of heat pump that would use water instead of freon. So mm-hmm. he was doing some tests and he was like, you know, let me figure out how to, you know, use water, you know, before I get to the Freon. So he was playing around some, with some nozzles and he was able to, of course, shoot this water across the room. And then the light bulb went off and then the rest is history. So it was actually an accident that, you know, he was using his degree for to, you know, create something that would better the human race <laughs> and then <laughs> accidentally accidentally made one of the more popular <laughs> yeah, toys I'm, I'm of our generation <laughs> this it, he, he's still a you know you like i said i, I want to call him young man he's 70 i guess 72 73 years old so he's like around my you know around my parents age so i'm thinking back in 90 it's like you know he, he probably had some kids it's like you know what they probably would have some fun with this let me let me go ahead and you well, know maybe he was a kid himself off. Or, look, or even look. himself, but it's like, let me take the sharp edges off and get this to these kids out here so they, they stay outside and let me have my peace and quiet in the house. And next thing you know, the super circuit is born and billion dollars later, 30 years later, uh, you know, that, that is what he's well known for. But like I said, this, this gentleman had some serious technical chops with what he was doing with NASA and what he was doing with the Air Force. So. Mr. Gaines, we are at that time of the show. Go ahead and uh, pull us back in here. Um, why don't you? Oh, actually, before we before we actually you know wrap the show up, we do have a new patron this week. So let me go back here and read who this was. Um, so we do have a new patron this week. Their name is Larnell Ogogo. So I want to thank you for uh, becoming a patron and supporting the Tech John. And for anyone else who's listening, if you'd like to become a patron um, of the Tech John and help support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash the Tech John, where you can sign up to any of our tiers over there. And they all uh, help you know put a little bit in our bank account so that we can continue to give this, uh, you know, this technology news the way we break it down to you every week. So once again, thank you, Larnell Ogogo. Appreciate and with that. Parents, tell the folks how to get to you. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, you can find me all on the internet at brothertech.com. Um, I'm actually uh, going to do some a little bit of freelance writing, uh, get back into get back in the game a little bit. So I um, actually linked up with PC Mag. So I've actually got a story that's out now on how to uh, enable the uh, haptic feedback on your iPhone. So, you know, iPhone 14, now they've got it to where when you type on the screen, it'll actually give you some feedback on your thumbs versus I, I find it annoying to where people, when they're typing on an iPhone, they've got their volume turned on all years, tap, 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 click, 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 click. So, you know, I, I, I put that story out because that gets on my nerves. So I give you an option on uh, typing on your iPhone. So definitely go check that out. Go to PCMag.com, uh, do a search on haptic feedback and my story should pop up. If not, we'll make sure to put the the uh, link in the show notes. So definitely uh, check me out over there at PCMag. I'll be putting up a couple other stories. I just wrote one 
over the weekend about uh, the iPhone doing uh, how you can do the boot, the boots, the the Apple logo uh, chime. You know, when you turn on a Mac, it has that that uh, popular sound. Well, it doesn't sound the same way on an iPhone, but you can actually enable that for an iPhone. So be on the lookout for that over at PC Mag. And other than that, you know, that's that's where you can find me. Okay, and I am at Rob Dunwood on all the things. And we are also at the Tech John on all the things. So come and check us out pretty much wherever you get down on the internet and social media. So with that, my friend, till we meet again in a week's time. Peace. Peace. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.